Uh, but when we get our kids to bed, it's like, okay, there's just a little bit of peace, a little bit of quietness, and uh, we can just sit here and do whatever we want for a few hours before we fall asleep. Um, the time before the moment arrives, we do everything we can to hold on, to keep it together. But we have this light, so to speak, at the end of the tunnel. But it's the moment, it's the event that we're looking forward to that I think we often think of as living or being alive. We do this in the present and looking ahead to the future, but I think we also do this when thinking about the past. When talking about our past, if you'll think about your past for a moment and the things that have happened in your life, when we refer back to our past, it's often certain moments that we will pick out and we will call them what? We'll call them defining moments, things that have shaped our life. It's as if we view life, whether thinking about the past, present, or future, as certain moments. So here's the question I want us to wrestle with this morning. Do you think there's a problem with this way of thinking? Of when we think about life, just kind of thinking out and picking certain moments, certain big moments, and that is life. Because almost the entirety of our life is spent where? In the space between those moments. As I was thinking about this idea, I began to think about how in religious culture, both the past and the present, we have done the same thing with how we think or understand God. We look for God in certain events or moments. And oftentimes where we look for God is in the big moment. Something cultures have been doing since they first began to think about God. What did the cultures of the ancient Near East, where this book came from, all the cultures surrounding the Israelites, how did they think about God? Where did they look for God? Or other ancient, ancient civilizations, how did they think about God? Where was God for them? Things like the sun, the moon, the planets, the stars, the weather, storms, fire, volcanoes, oceans, rivers. Are you sensing a theme here? Things that are big, things that are powerful. Things throughout history, so many people, when they think about the divinity that is behind all existence, they think of something that must be big, something that must be powerful and strong. Or when they think about experiencing God, they think of certain big moments in their life where this has happened. Moments they might refer to as sacred moments. Does anyone know what the word sacred means? It means something that is set apart from something else. Something that is set apart or different from the ordinary or different from the mundane. Moments where they have connected with God. Religious moments versus secular moments. The word sacred, I believe, has often been involved in creating these dualities of sacred and secular that are at odds with one another. So when I was growing up, um, I grew up in a Christian family, I was presented with Christian things and non-Christian things. So there was Christian music and there was non-Christian music. And there was Christian books and there were non-Christian books. And there was Christian people and there were non-Christian people. So in the same way that we identify big moments when talking about the story arc of our life, we also identify these sacred moments when talking about God and our relationship or closeness to God. And in our spiritual religious life, what begins to happen is we begin to live from sacred moment to sacred moment to sacred moment. And so again, I'll ask you the question, do you think that there's a problem with this way of thinking about our life and our journey of faith? 
Because the majority of our life is not found in those sacred moments, is it? The majority of our life is found in the space between those sacred moments. My hope for this morning is for us to begin to think more about the space between within our life, the space that makes up the ever so brief period of time that we get to inhabit this earth, the space that I believe is so often ignored, the space that is written off as ordinary or mundane or insignificant. It's the space that at Front Porch, we're actually in the business of trying to cultivate more of and help students to pay more attention to. I believe that it is in such space that God is ever-present, doing far more than we could ever imagine. This morning's text comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus is on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he is uh, teaching. And one of the things that happened when Jesus taught was crowds gathered. And so a crowd is gathering, and they're pushing him up against the the, the water, so much so that Jesus gets in a boat, and he decides to teach from a boat while the, the, the crowd is right up against on the edge of the water. And he begins teaching in these things called parables, and he's teaching about this idea of the kingdom of God. And he tells this short parable in Matthew 13, 31. He told another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's the largest of all vegetable plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds in the sky come and nest in its branches. One of the things that I like to do when I'm looking at a text in the Bible is I like to begin by asking questions. Uh, I think that's a good place to start. So one of the questions I have when I look at this text is this, this thing called the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about over and over and over again. What is it? Because so often it was presented to his disciples as this very vague concept. But the more I've read about the kingdom of God throughout the gospels and the things that Jesus said, the most basic and most simple explanation I can give you of the kingdom of God and the one that I like to share with whether it be college students or my kids is when things, and I used it when we were doing the Lord's Supper, when things begin to look like they're supposed to look like. When things begin to look how they're supposed to look. But for some people, when they think of the kingdom of God, they think of something different. They think of something big, something out there, something far off and distant, a place called heaven that is far off and distant, a place that we go when we end our time here on this earth. But when, I, when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, I think he was talking about something much different, something much closer to our daily reality. So Jesus was talking in these parables, and one of the things about the parables was they were very frustrating to his disciples. His disciples he, Jesus would share a parable, and his disciples would be like, Jesus, why do you do this to us? Why do you teach us in these these funny stories that don't make any sense to us, that we don't really understand, and then you have to go explain to us later? Why don't you just tell us what you mean at the very beginning? Jesus' disciples loved the question, why? My son, Landon, loves the question, why? He says it over and over and over and over again, so much so that it drives my wife and I crazy sometimes. But if I stop and think about it, I love the question, why? Because what does the question why tell us about the individual asking the question why? Well, it's them admitting that they don't know the answer. So there's a humility involved. But there's a longing to know. So there's a curiosity and there's a teachability. They want to know the answer. Here's what Jesus' response was to his disciples when they asked, 
Why do you teach us in parables, Jesus? Jesus said this in Matthew 13, 13. This is why I speak to the crowds in parables. Although they see, they don't really see. And although they hear, they don't really hear or understand. What Isaiah prophesied has become completely true for them. You will hear to be sure, but never understand. And you will certainly see, but you will never recognize what you are seeing. For this people's senses have become callous and they've become hard of hearing and they've shut their eyes so that they won't see with their eyes or hear with their ears or understand with their minds. The religious leaders of Jesus' day claim to have had the market on God. They claim to have had the market on where you could see God, how you experience God, uh, how to get closer to God. They said, this is how you do it. This is, this is the, the way to do it. And you got to follow this way or it's not going to happen. But what Jesus was saying through both his teaching and his lifestyle was, you're missing it. And he was talking, the majority of Jesus' teaching was to the religious leaders of his day. And he says, you're missing it. You're looking in all the wrong places. You're seeing, but you're not really seeing. You're hearing, but you're not really hearing. So he's been talking to the religious leaders about people's inability to see the kingdom of God right in front of them their inability to see the places where God is at work and where God is. And he's been telling people that they've been missing it, telling them that they've been staring right at it and they can't really see it. And then he tells them what? That it's like, the kingdom of God is like a, a mustard seed. So what is he telling them? That it's not in the big. That it's not in the powerful. Rather, the exact opposite. It's in the small. It's in the seemingly insignificant. It's not in the places or the spaces that they thought it was. Stanley Hauerwas, one of my favorite commentators on the book of Matthew, says this about this parable. Jesus is teaching us to see the significance of the insignificant. Jesus is teaching us to see the significance of the insignificant, to see the sacred in the perceived ordinary or the perceived profane. It's in the places you would last think to look. Have you ever lost something and then realized that it's in the most obvious or ordinary of places? Like, whether it be my keys, whether it be my son, I wear a hat on most days um, to work. I get the privilege of wearing a hat, and I, most people don't ever see my hair. And like, whoa, you have hair. Uh, but a lot of times I'll have my sunglasses, and I'll have them on my hat, and I'll be walking around, whether it be at work or whether it be at home, and I can't find them. I'm looking everywhere, and I never think to look in the most obvious of places where I had left them. If you think about it, in a way, the parable of the mustard seed is a microcosm of the life of Jesus. The humble circumstances of his birth. We just sang about this ordinary woman that Jesus was born to, Mary. Mary and Joseph, these ordinary people who lived in this ordinary nowhere town of Bethlehem. Disciples, a boy's lunch, a woman at the well, a woman caught in adultery, the homes that Jesus went into, the meals that Jesus shared, the act of washing his feet, these things that we kind of hold up and put on a pedestal. But if you think about it, if you step back for a moment, you're like, these are just ordinary things. Jesus was just walking around, ordinary people, and doing ordinary things, everyday life. All of Jesus' life was showing that God was present in the midst of the small, in the ordinary in the day-to-day. -day. Jesus says, stop making this about a big religious show. Stop living your life from one religious experience to the next religious experience. All of this is sacred. 
if you would just open your eyes and open your ears because God is intertwined through it all. Someone who I love to read a lot of his, his writings is this Franciscan friar by the name of Richard Rohr. I highly recommend his books. Um, he says this, feeling God's presence is simply a matter of awareness. Feeling God's presence is simply a matter of awareness. It's an opening of our eyes. It's an opening of our ears and paying attention to what's going on around us. What does this mean for us when it comes to the space between within our lives? Well, I can't tell you how many times I hear these following statements during the course of a given day at Front Porch. Here are the statements. Students saying, I want to be closer to God. I just want to be closer to God in my life right now. I feel distant from God. For whatever reason, the things went on, I feel distant right now. I just don't feel that my relationship with God is a priority right now in my life, or I don't feel it's where I want it to be. I want to know God more. These are things that I, my guess is that you can relate with, that you've thought or said at one point in your life. Um, as I hear these statements, though, on a regular basis, I began to think, well, what's really behind these statements? Because I hear them all the time. People are always saying them, especially in religious culture. I hear them all the time. What is it that's behind these statements that makes us say them all the time and feel these things? What do you think we mean by these statements when we say them? Here's what I think we mean. That there is a longing that we have for that experiential feeling that we get in the big sacred moments. Usually these statements that I hear from students, they come at this place of they've having felt something in a particular moment or a particular event in their life, and they're longing to experience that or feel that again, and that's somewhere off in the future that they're hoping for, but they're in this space between, and they want, for whatever reason, they want out of that space because they want to get back to that feeling or experience that they've had. So what are the remedies that Christian cultures that you have been a part of, or maybe that you're a part of now, what are the remedies for getting us out of the space between to the space of feeling that experiential thing? What, this, I'm gonna, this isn't a rhetorical question. What are, what are some of the remedies that you've heard or that you would suggest for people? Anything, shout it out. Mission trips, great. What else? More Bible reading. More Bible reading, yeah. Yeah. Good. What else? Prayer. Prayer. Anything else? These are all good. These are all in my list. Not that they have to be in my list, but here's what I put. Pray. Join a Bible study. Go to church on Sunday. Join another Bible study. Read, bi read the Bible more. Go on a retreat. Go to camp. Go on a mission trip. Now, before I go any further, I want to make something very clear. I'm not saying that those things are bad things for what I'm about to say. Those are all really good things, and I encourage you to do all of them. I participate in those things myself. But here's the thing. Why do we suggest those things to people who are in that kind of space between? What do you think is the theory behind how those things work to somehow get you closer to God? How do these things remedy the problem? They give you an experience. They give you a feeling. They give you a big sacred moment. So another question, do they work? Do they work? What do you think? Sometimes, I heard a yes. Tempor good, temporarily. I love that. That's, that was the point I was going to make. I think they work temporarily. I think they give you that experience. They give you that moment. They give you that feeling. But then after, whether it's a day, two days, three days later, what happens? You find yourself where? Right back 
in the space between. It's why so many people I hear talk about living Sunday to Sunday. If I can just get to Sunday, I can experience having this thing, and then, but then I have to go back to my week. But then, man, I know Sunday's coming, and I'll get back and have that experience, and that'll give me everything I need to what? To get through the week. Well, here's the problem. The majority of life is not this, is it? The majority of life is all the space between Sundays. So there's a real problem if we think this is living, because the majority of life is all the time outside of this. So here's the question. Do we really want to be closer to God, or are we just seeking a fleeting feeling? Because I think within religion, we glorify this idea of what it means to be closer to God. Or we paint a picture of what that look like, looks like, and it's nothing close to what it actually means to be close to God, or what scripture, what this Bible says that it means to be close to God. For so often, closeness to God is tied up in a feeling for Christian culture, tied up in our individuality, tied up in religion. We are told that us feeling close to God is something that we must take care of that we must work on. So we're constantly trying to get that feeling back, doing every little religious thing we can with the hopes of that feeling returning. Something I've noticed about what I would call religious acts or spiritual practices is that if you think about it, they tend to be things that actually remove you from the world. As Christians, we're so quick to hold up the few instances in the gospel where Jesus was alone in, the pra- alone in prayer early in the morning, right? I mean, I've heard that my whole life. Jesus was alone in prayer early in the morning, so we should do what? We should have, what do we call that in Christian culture? A, a, a quiet time? We should have a quiet time. That's good. Yes, I agree with that. But we hold that up on a pedestal while so often we ignore what Jesus did with the majority of his day, which was what? He was out with people. Who was he with? He was with the least of these, the people that were being oppressed. And he was taking care of them and liberating them. The poor, the sick, the lepers, the drunks, the prostitutes, the cheats. He got in trouble for not doing the religious things on certain days and breaking the religious rules and laws for doing what? For being with people and loving people in a radical way. I believe one of the primary focuses of Jesus's teaching was to remind the people of Israel that their closeness to God was not dependent upon their pious acts of prayer. It was not dependent upon the giving of their money, their attendance at synagogue, their observance of Sabbath. Jesus presented a completely non-religious way of being, and it was a way of being through which one became closer to God than they could have ever imagined possible, and it was found in the space between. The story of the Bible, the story of Israel, I believe was incredibly forward thinking for its day, especially when it came to its understanding of God and who God was and where God was and how you could experience God. And one of the ways was how they understood God to be involved in all of it, to stop looking for God in the big and the extravagant and realize that God is present in the normal daily activities of us all. Throughout this book, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have story after story of God not being found in the big religious acts, but God being found in the ordinary. In the Old Testament, in, in the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah, it talks about the way that you become close to God is you take care of the poor and the oppressed, the orphan and the widow, and you care for them the people that the religious people of the day were not caring for. Jesus tells another story about someone separating the sheep from the goats. And if you remember this story, he says, those uh, you came and you, you came to me and you, you fed me. 
when I was hungry, and you clothed me when I was naked, and you visited me when I was in prison. And these people say, what? We did what? We didn't know we did that. And he said, when you did it to one of the least of these, you were actually doing it to me. There was a closeness to God when they were doing it for those people. So how do we become a community of people who begin to live like this? I think so much of this has to do with more of our head than our heart. It's a recognition that we must consciously make, or as Richard Rohr says, an awareness that we must come to. It's what Jesus was getting his followers to do day in and day out. It's why he had them follow him around for three years, to become people who are more aware of the sacred in every moment, in the space between moments. We have to stop looking everywhere for God in all of the big moments and see God right in front of us in the small moments. Very rarely will we look for God in the ordinary, things that are small, but yet what if that's where God is the most present? The places and things that we cast off as being insignificant, and yet the greatest significance and meaning is found there. So my final question, why do you think this matters? How does viewing God in the ordinary versus viewing God in the, only in the big change anything for our lives? Well, all of a sudden, people matter a whole lot more. Every person matters a whole lot more. Conversations matter more. Your neighbor across the street matters more. The neighborhood that you live in matters a whole lot more. Everything becomes more alive. Everything becomes electric. Every moment matters. Every conversation matters. Every interaction that you have on a daily basis, from small to big, it matters more. Every walk you take, every run that you go on, every small task, every transaction, every trip to the grocery store, all of it matters more because God is involved and intertwined in all of it. The space between is where it happens. I believe we, the church, must, must get better at the space between. We do Sundays really well. We do Bible studies really well. We do camps and retreats and mission trips really well. But my hope for the church is that we become more aware of a God in the seemingly insignificant, in the small, because that's the space where I believe where the real magic happens. And that is where we truly are being invited to be close to God and to be a part of the kingdom of God, where justice is sought where the oppressed are helped, where the orphan is defended, and the widow pled for. Amen? God, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the opportunity to open it up this morning and be challenged. God, may we be reminded this morning that you are active and doing far more than we could ever imagine in the small, ordinary things of our life. God, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.